Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Lead us the way of trust. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Lead us in the way of lament. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Well, hey folks, here we are, live at Evergreen. I wish that you could see right now what what I see. Actually, to be honest, I I really don't wish that upon you because what I see is is Mr. Lubbers sitting over in the back, uh, waving to me by my by himself. I see the the tech team at the back, you know, social distancing and behaving themselves. But what I see is a whole bunch of empty chairs. And I just want to express to you this morning because this is our first opportunity to to talk through the camera directly to our community. And so I just want to express to you this morning, we miss you. We really miss gathering together in person. But this is what we got. This This is what the Lord has given us. And he calls us to surrender our whole lives to him, even in the midst of a pandemic. And so we're, we're really excited to be able to at least connect in a live format like this with you. Uh, but we, we do actually long to be with you. And so I just wanted you to know that as we get into scripture this morning, that uh, w- this has been a long haul for all of us. I hope that you're staying safe. I hope that you're staying healthy, but I also hope that you're staying connected. Pick up the phone, talk to other people. Uh, We have all kinds of community things that have been happening in the life of our church. Uh, For instance, uh, Aaron Sykema's mom uh, just recently passed away, and so I would ask uh, of cancer, and so I would ask that you just lift him up in prayer as a family this morning. Actually, just... Let's take a moment and do that. Father, I just lift up Aaron and his family. And I pray, God, that they would feel your peace and that they would feel your comfort. And Lord, as we go into your word this morning and we were so blessed with a a time of worship, I pray, Lord, that our hearts and our minds would be centered on you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, we've been journeying through a sermon series called The Jesus Way. And we, we called it that on purpose, the, the ways of Jesus, the Jesus way. It's, it's really all about how Jesus lived his life here on earth as our example of the Father. So essentially, we're looking at how he interacted with others, how he showed compassion and kindness to others. We're literally looking at the person Jesus, not just the things that he taught, but the posture in how he went about teaching them. We literally see the Father in Jesus. That's what scripture says. We literally see the Father in Jesus. John The Gospel of John chapter 14, starting at verse 8, says this. It's just right after he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And and my buddy Philip, the guy I love because he questions different things, 
Uh, he says this, he says in verse eight, Lord, show us the father and that'll be enough for us. Have you ever felt like that? Show us the father and that will be enough for us. If I could just see God, if I could just be with Jesus physically in the body, then that would be enough for me to believe. That's Philip. But listen to what Jesus says. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Jesus literally is the father in flesh. A human God, fully man and fully God. And so we believe that the Jesus way is the God way. It's the way that we're called to live. It's the way that we're called to be kind. It's the way that we're called to make peace. And so we also uh, believe that Jesus shows us the Father, his full character, his full will. And so that's why we're doing this series. How do we be like Jesus? How do we interact like Jesus did? That's the call of the New Testament and specifically the call of the New Testament church to be Jesus in a broken world, to manifest his kingdom where his effective will is done here on earth. And so we're doing that actually through the Beatitudes. So you can jump ahead to Matthew or behind or to a different gospel. Can you tell we're live? To Matthew, no edits anymore, right? To Matthew chapter five. And we believe that the Beatitudes that Jesus introduced to us in his famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, that the Beatitudes actually lay out the ways of Jesus. That he gives us first the way of trust. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And then the way of lament, which we talked about last week. And then this week, a real fun one, the way of humility. In the Beatitudes, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The word that the NIV translates there as meek uh, is actually best translated as humility. Blessed are those who are humble, for they will inherit the earth. So, so those who, who place their trust in God over all the things of this world, those who learn to navigate pain and suffering through the practice of lament, and those who live a life with humility rather than pride are the one, ones in whom God blesses. So today we're going to look at what scripture says about our call to be meek or humble. Now, I'm going to throw this out there. Um, I'm learning and preaching to myself through this entire message. So in no way have I 
like attained complete humility and now I'm now passing that on to you. I'm a work in progress like everybody else. This was actually a very, very difficult sermon to prepare for because nobody wants to preach on humility because just preaching on humility in itself is not humble. It's like the choir lady that got awarded for, for her service and they gave her a pin and, and uh, for how humble she was and then the next week she wore the pin. Like it, it's just not humble. We tend to take pride in a lot of things that we do. And as I've been studying this, I've found it very, very interesting though because we don't actually talk about pride and humility that much in the Christian church. Actually, we prefer to talk about hotbed issues. We prefer to, to uh, line ourselves up with certain doctrines and belief systems and certain do's and don'ts and the structures of ethics that we have some, for some reason surrounded Christianity with. But actually scripture talks more, Jesus specifically talks more about pride and humility and more about money than anything else in the entire New Testament. So I find it interesting how we actually often ignore this subject in the Christian church when actually Jesus obviously thought that it was a major subject to teach on. So Jesus teaches us about humility and pride an awful lot through the three years of his ministry. And he's constantly warning his disciples to be generous and to be humble in all things, to always be willing to serve rather than to be served. Think about that. Always willing to serve rather than be served. Now, pride, specifically, we have to deal with before we can talk about humility. Pride is a subtle thing in our culture. Even when we think we're being humble, often our humility is rooted in our pride. Isn't that ironic? That when we're, we're trying to be humble, the trying in itself is actually prideful. So how do we go about being these humble people, these humble servants that Jesus calls us to be? Most of our conflict in our lives, most of our dissatisfaction with our life, and actually most of our insecurities are driven by pride. In today's culture, we elevate pride as a leadership skill. We, we lift people with major pride issues into roles of leadership because we think that their pride equals confidence. And often we follow those who hold similar prideful ambitions to ourselves and we can't see the pride saturated in it all. We live in a culture... <laughs> were selfies. Anybody ever heard of, of a selfie? And it, I've done a few of them here and there. I was hosting a conference once and I tried to do a selfie and I couldn't figure out why the camera was backwards. And so the whole crowd laughed at me because of my lack of ability to use Facebook. We live in a selfie world where selfies are considered normal. Think about this. Taking a picture of yourself and posting it online is considered perfectly normal. Did you know that 90 million people take a picture of themselves every day and post it online? 90 million selfies are uploaded online every single day 
in North America alone. And then we post it online and we eagerly wait for our likes. We eagerly wait and, and we get, you know, three or four likes or five likes and we're analyzing what friend gives us those likes and, and then that infamous dislike happens. And we get deflated and so we, you know, put a filter on our selfie. I'm waiting for a filter that says lose 50 pounds instantly and then I'll start taking selfies and post online, but they haven't come up with that filter yet. So we filter our selfies, we post our selfies, and we, we, we basically build our life around a like button or a smiley face or a happy sign or a love or whatever. And we're so driven by these things, but that's actually rooted in pride. Now, anybody that has teenagers, you might think 90 million is a little low, uh, but it's the average in North America. And it's no wonder that Jesus thinks pride is a serious issue among us as sinners. If Jesus thought that pride was an issue then, imagine what he would think of us now. There's a parable that Jesus shows us. It's a couple parables that we're gonna deal with this week. Where Jesus knows that pride is a problem and that humility is the only antidote. And so he tells us a story in the gospel of Luke chapter 14. He tells us a story about a time when, we were, when his disciples and him were invited into a prominent Pharisee's home to eat. And, and right away, uh, there's a little bit of dissension that's happening at, with this invite. They're preparing for a wedding feast where they're, they're questioning Jesus about whether he can lawfully heal on the Sabbath day. So let's pick up the story actually in verse seven. So that's the context. They're kind of debating over, you know, should Jesus heal on the Sabbath or not? And so Jesus challenges them and says that he believes that he can. But listen to what verse seven says in chapter 14 of Luke's gospel. It says, when he noticed, so he being Jesus, how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. So Jesus noticed something. He noticed a subtle behavior that we are all guilty of. His disciples showed up and they aimed for the best seats in the house. Some of us show up early in order to get the best seat in the house. And so Jesus noticed this and listen to what he says. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you. Could you imagine there's someone out there that is more distinguished than you. I, I, can you imagine that? There is someone out there that's more distinguished than you. Jesus says so, it's in scripture. And he says, when you show up and you take the best seat in the house, there might actually be somebody that's more distinguished than you. They might've been invited too. And if so, verse nine, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. He says, but when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. Now listen to what verse 11 teaches us. 
For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, Jesus teaches them about humility by pointing out their subtle pride. Naturally, when the disciples went to be seated, they looked for the best seats in the place. If we're really honest with ourselves, most of us actually do that, probably thinking nothing of it. But Jesus says, actually, this posture is a serious problem. And the problem is, is, is if you, you take the seat of honor, it's, it could have been meant for somebody that's more distinguished than you, and then the host may actually end up having to humiliate you and move you. That's what pride does. It leads you to be humiliated. Maybe not on this side of heaven. Maybe you'll be able to squeak through as pride being your confidence. But you will give an account one day to God. And I bet you pride is going to come up. Now the answer, Jesus says, to combat pride is to always take the low position. Because that is where you can be elevated rather than brought down. He says, taking the low position or the the crappier seat essentially allows the host to move you into a better spot. But we seem to think that we're entitled to the best seat in the house. And Jesus says, I want you to hear this, folks. Never act entitled. God owes us nothing. We are entitled to nothing from God. And then Jesus says the famous passage in verse 11. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The low position is always the high position. There's another story in Luke chapter 18. And I love this story. This is a a really fun one. In Luke chapter 18, starting at verse nine, Jesus says this. It says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness. I love it when scripture, when the the verse starts off that way. This is to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Let's be honest for a second. All of us in one way or another have kind of a false confidence and a false humility in our own righteousness. You know why? Because we're human beings. Human beings broken and saturated in a sinful world. And so anyone who's like, I am righteous. I have figured out what Jesus wants for me and I am living that thing. This is for you. And what about judging? He says, and look down on everyone else. All of us in one way or another have someone we have placed judgment over at some point in our lives. I say all that to say, he's talking to us. And listen to what he says. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. (laughs) A Pharisee and a tax collector, right? Culturally speaking, these are radically different people. Both Jews. That's the problem here. Both Jews, but one collects tax for Rome. And the Jews hate when a Jew collects tax for Rome. So they both go to the temple. And it says, the Pharisee in verse 11 stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. (laughs) Lord, thank you that I am not like everybody else. 
I thank you that I'm, I'm not like other people, like robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like that tax collector over there. I fast. So now he's giving his credentials, right? I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Look at my righteousness. Now listen to what it says in verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast. That's a Bible way of saying he's lamenting. He beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Now, isn't that interesting? The man who had religion all figured out, the man who tithed the tenth of his income, the man who fasted twice a week, the man who had all his ethics in line is not the man who's justified before the throne of God. The one who's justified, Jesus said, is the one who humbled himself so he could be exalted. You see, being confident doesn't always mean you are confident in who you actually are. The Pharisee is confident that he's living the way God calls him to live according to the law. And so when he prays, he thinks God is, is not, he, he thinks he's not like all the sinners around him. And, and so Jesus points this out and he says, this is actually full of pride and judgment and it's not the posture that actually honors God. You see, the posture of humility that the tax collector takes is what God wants from us. The tax collector knows that he's a sinner. There's step one, folks. The minute you're like, I'm not a sinner anymore. You've missed the point. You see, here on this side of earth, until Jesus comes again, we are all saturated in sin and we are sinners. Even though we're justified because of the work of the cross, which we'll get into another day, we are still struggling with sin. The tax collector knows that he's a sinner. So much so that he can't even look to heaven as he prays. He doesn't feel entitled to this. So Jesus tells his disciples that it's the tax collector that goes home justified, not the guy who thinks he's living faith perfectly. We do this all the time. We do this all the time in subtle ways in our lives. We discreetly judge others. I didn't grow up in the church. So I actually have a perspective of the church that's slightly different because I saw you from the outside looking in. And in some ways, it's a beautiful thing. And in some ways, it's a massive dumpster fire. We all subtly judge others. And the moment we judge others, we're a massive hypocrite, saturated in pride. And folks, I'm just as guilty of that as anybody else in this room or any of you sitting at home. Judging someone else's sins leaves, leads to you thinking you don't struggle with those sins yourself. Do you know there's actually a psychological study done 
that proves that the, often the things that you are the most apt to judge are actually things that you struggle with secretly yourself? We see this saturated in the church. The, the leader of the Evangelical Fellowship of the United States several years ago was one of the most prominent anti-gay people in the country until he got caught sleeping with men, male prostitutes. We see this subtly happening in so many of our lives. And Jesus says the humble person lives a life knowing that they are broken and have not reached the place where God wants them. That's the posture that he's looking for. Humility helps us to see where we need improvements in our life and it opens the door. Now, hear me here. It opens the door for the Holy Spirit to work on us. I really believe that pride is what stifles the Holy Spirit in your life. And the more humble we become, the more the Spirit begins to affect and transform your life. So we can block that through our prideful ways or we can surrender the, way, the things that we think, sing about. I surrender all, right? Imagine that kind of statement, I surrender all. How many of us really meant it? Pride blocks the work of the Spirit and it makes change difficult. And social media has proven that we're all insecure and that we're all full of pride. Our deep need for likes, for approval from others, and our anxiety that comes from disapproval all drive us to a life of pridefulness. And we think this is all perfectly good, yet insecurity drives pride and stifles humility. This is the difference between humanity and Jesus. Jesus knows who he is and he's confident in his identity in the Father. I'm gonna say that again. This is the difference between humanity and Jesus. Jesus has fully accepted and fully knows who he is and he's confident in his identity, the identity that the Father has given him. You see, pride comes from having an identity crisis. Christian pride comes from not centering your identity in Jesus. Jesus leads with a humble confidence. He knows his mission and he believes that God will do everything he has promised to do. Remember that trust thing? Jesus fully trusts in the Father. Listen to how Paul describes Jesus and his humility in Philippians. Philippians chapter two, starting at verse three. Paul says this about Jesus. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Oh boy. Do, do nothing, he says. Like do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, the Jesus way. Now listen to what Paul says. Who being, he's talking about Jesus, in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In my Bible, folks, you probably can't see it, but I got a great big word there that says, wow. Think about that. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. 
Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, great passing word in scripture that you need to pay attention to. He's gonna give you an answer to what happens when it's lived out that way. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Folks, this passage is saying that Jesus is equal with God Yet he didn't consider this equality as something to be used to his own advantage. I don't know about you, but if I was equal with God, like I, I kind of feel like I'm somewhat equal with Captain America, but I'm like the old chubby version, but, but I, I'm not equal with God. And so if I was like equal with God, would I probably use that to my own advantage in this world? Would I use it to elevate my status? Would I use it to elevate my authority? What would I do if I was equal with God? Well, what Jesus did was felt that he shouldn't take advantage of it. Think about this. Jesus is God in the flesh, and yet he doesn't use his divinity to elevate himself. Instead, he takes the position of being fully human and everything that comes with it, which is a dumpster fire mess. Let me ask you, and I want you to actually be honest. Do you think you are equal to God? Do do you think that you are equal to God? Pride says that you act like you are. If you think that you are entitled to any high position, then you're missing the point of what Jesus is teaching. You see, humility comes from being secure in your identity in Christ. Humility is not something we actually create. You see, if your identity comes from the world, if you worry about how things look and what kind of possessions you possess, if you're driven by power and authority, then you're finding your identity in the world, not in Christ. Here is how the Bible defines, and specifically Jesus defines humility. Humility is the quiet confidence and strength that comes from being secure and at home with who Jesus has made you to be. That's what actually drives humility. It's not something that we work harder at. It's not something that we attain through practice. It's actually something that's rooted in who you believe you are in Christ. It's attached to our identity. It's a quiet confidence and strength that comes from being secure and at home with who Jesus has made you to be. Not who you think you want to be. So living a life driven by getting as many likes as possible will always lead to destruction because it's relying on a false narrative that tells you that power and recognition are the things that you need to feel good about yourself. Jesus calls us as adult Christians to be like children. He calls us as adult Christians to be like children. Look at Matthew chapter 18. His disciples come to him and say, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Right, because we all want to know that, right? I want to be great. I want to be Captain America or Thor or 
Iron Man's actually pretty cool out of all of them. It doesn't matter. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The disciples need to know. Listen to what Jesus says. Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse four, therefore, here's the result. Whoever takes the lowly posture of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The word lowly posture that the NIV translates is best translated as the same word we've been dealing with in the Greek text the whole time, humility. Often I've heard preachers teach as though children are lower class in society and that we need to take a lower class in society. And, and, and that's what kids represent. And there, there's truth to that. In Jesus' culture, that's the way that it was. But when you actually look at the original languages, that's not what this passage is actually saying. The passage is actually defining the low position as a posture of humility rather than pride. Now, if you know anything about kids, they get corrupted progressively. They become, the the more they move toward an adult, the more corrupted they become with pride. But if you look at a young child, a young child relies completely on their parents rather than themselves. There's a natural humility and a natural uh, creation of identity that is attached to reliance on their father and their mother. And that is what Jesus is saying that we need to learn as a posture, to rely completely on him, to trust completely in him rather than ourselves and our own ability to gain power, recognition, and status. Now, just very quickly, here are a few questions that you can ask yourself. Now, this is a sermon on humility. How come I talk so much about pride? Because pride is what stops humility from happening. But your identity is what drives your ability to be humble, your identity specifically in Christ. So here's some very practical ways to know if pride is an issue in your life. Number one, do you take everything personally? How many, how many people are like, oh boy. <laughs> Only when it comes from some people, right? Or, or whatever, but do you take everything personally? That's a pride problem. Are your feelings the most important? So in your relationships or how you feel, is that what drives everything in your life? And when somebody doesn't feel the way you feel, you don't feel connected to them anymore. In relationships, are your desires the most important desires? Carrie and I, she's gonna be so happy I said this. We're looking at blinds for the new house. Right, because we—it just dawned on us that we have to put window coverings on a, on a on a brand new house. And so, twenty some years of marriage, <laughs> and I just let her know I don't like curtains. So here we are in a relationship, and now we've got a dilemma. I like blinds; she likes curtains. So you know what we did? We bought blinds and curtains. You have to realize that your uh, desires are not always the most important. Do you keep thinking right now that you wish so-and-so would hear this message? 
That's evidence of pride. It's not really a message for you. It's actually a message for my husband or my wife or my son or my daughter or so-and-so, Mr. Lubbers at the back corner there or, or Jay Woodley. Uh, you know, it's not for me. I just can't wait until Amy hears this. <laughs> so nice to hear laughs. These are all attitudes of pride, a pride-filled world. The kingdom of God that Jesus presents to us is in the Beatitudes is completely opposite to the world in which we live. Until we begin like innocent children, become like innocent children again, we will always struggle with pride. If we struggle with pride, we will never truly know who we are in Christ. So there will always be a relational problem in our journey of faith. I think this is why the church struggles to be a good witness in our world. Instead of taking the position of someone who serves others and thinks of others first, we're driven by what we want and what we think we deserve. In the Philippians passage, Paul describes Jesus' humility with these specific traits. A life without selfish ambition or vain conceit. A deep value for others. That's that others-centeredness that Jesus calls us to. And never looking to your own interests, but elevating the interests of others. Jesus Christ gave his life for us in one of the most humiliating, painful ways possible. The Roman cross. Yet he could have chosen his equality with God and used it to gain power, authority, and status in a religious world. You ever notice, even when Jesus heals, it's never a spectacle. It's the people around him that make it a spectacle. Jesus heals and says, shh. You see, there's humility in everything that he does. And thank goodness, folks, for the cross. When I was studying this and I'm looking, I'm like, I'm like, thank you, Jesus, for the cross and for the grace that I receive and for the patience that you have with me, a prideful sinner. Wouldn't it be something if we could all find our security in Christ rather than pride, rather than our likes, rather than our statuses, rather, rather than seeking recognition. Imagine the witness that we would be to a broken, lost world. But because we've received grace and the empowerment of the Spirit, Jesus says it's possible for you to place your identity in him. And when you place your identity in him, humility can happen. But if our identity remains to be in the world in subtle ways, we will always struggle with pride. So today, let's cry out to God in lament. Let's practice lament. Let's begin to to trust in the Lord and in his promises over just how prideful we actually are. Don't try harder or work harder for humility. Instead, press into your relationship with Jesus Christ. Ask God, what is it going to take for me to change? How can I actually surrender all? Pastor Tamil is going to lead us in a reflection and prayer to close today's 
service. And I want you to all consider the words of this prayer. As Christians, we believe that Jesus is the perfect representation of God, that he shows us exactly what God is like. And so one of the most amazing things, one of the most surprising things about the way that Jesus lived was that he was humble. This isn't what we would naturally expect from the all-powerful creator of the universe. And yet throughout his entire life, Jesus embodies this way of humility that's totally countercultural. And he calls us to be people who take on the same posture. One of the challenging things about humility is that the harder we try to make ourselves into humble people, the less humble we actually become. Humility isn't something that we can achieve by working really hard at it. And it has nothing to do with putting ourselves down or denying our accomplishments. True humility comes from having an honest understanding of who we are and finding our identity in Jesus rather than in our accomplishments or our status or how we measure up compared to other people. If we're honest, this is something that we all struggle with. And so as we wrap up our service today, let's take a few moments to reflect on the ways that pride has been sneaking into our lives and the ways that God is inviting us to reorient our hearts towards Him and to embrace the way of humility. So let's reflect on these questions. In what areas of your life do you strive for approval, for praise, or do you have a sense of being superior to other people? And in what areas of your life do you fear being inadequate, incompetent, or not measuring up? And now what would it look like for you to find your identity in Christ and to embrace the way of humility in these areas? We're going to close with a prayer this morning, and I'm going to invite you to pray along with me by reading the statements that come up on the screen just as a way of expressing your agreement with what we're praying together. So let's pray. From the desire to be recognized, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire to be praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire to be admired, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire to be honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire to be better than others, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being inadequate, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being criticized, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being overlooked, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being misunderstood, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of not fitting in, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be esteemed more than I, Jesus, give me the grace to desire it. That others may be chosen and I set aside, Jesus, give me the grace to desire it. That others may be praised and I unnoticed, Jesus, give me the grace to desire it. 
that others may be preferred to me. Jesus, give me the grace to desire it. That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. Jesus, give me the grace to desire it. God, help us to be people who rest in the truth that our identity is secure in you and to embrace the way of humility as we live our day-to-day lives.